The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hello, and thank you for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. This is Carrie Charles, and I am your host, and I am especially excited about this episode. It's one of my favorite subjects, and I have a wonderful, wonderful executive with me today, Kim Kerr. Kim is the Senior Vice President, Business Sales and Operations for U.S. Cellular. Kim, thank you for joining me today. Carrie, so glad to be here. All right. So we have a lot to talk about. It's one of my favorite subjects, which is sales. But before we jump into that, let's talk about your journey. How did you get where you are today? Well, it's a long one. And I can honestly say I didn't exactly have it planned out. If you go back when I was in college, just very short, I majored in PR and journalism. And I was like sales. And that really never entered my mind, even though you take your marketing classes. But Back in the 90s, where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do post-college, and it was like between healthcare and technology. And I was like, healthcare, don't have stomach for it. And you're always going to have need healthcare and sick people. And I thought technology, wow, this is interesting. So I started off and at the time it was Nextel. And I knew that I wanted to get, Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be in the leadership side, but I knew I had to carry the bag and kind of figure it out and carried the bag for a year and then went into sales management. And then I would see sort of the next role, like, oh, that's interesting. I want to go try enterprise. And so I went into enterprise and sort of started working my way up. And I was at Nextel for 10 years and did different roles, a lot of them in sales. And I did some rotational assignments. I also managed on the consumer side, because I think the more breadth and depth and the more you understand the different roles within a company, the better you are as a leader and just understanding customer supplier and what you need to do to make a company successful. And then we were acquired by Sprint. And then I spent another 15 years at Sprint and just sort of continued to work my way up through the organization. And I've always, even if I did a rotational assignment, like I did head of training, I always knew, and that gave me a great appreciation because you're in customers like internal employees. So it changes from your external customer. But I absolutely was always drawn to sales. I absolutely love it. I love the energy coming from the sales organizations and being head of sales in the different segments and watching the growth and opportunity of your employees. And I guess being the revenue generators as part of that, it's just something I find very exciting in this industry. And it's always changing and very dynamic, but it's not easy, but I absolutely love it. I have a passion for it. I have a passion. Right. It is not easy. You're absolutely right. But I also have the same passion. So we share that. So tell me about your role at US Cellular today. So I actually hit my one-year anniversary on 9-1, September 1st, and it's been an exciting, crazy role. So I was brought in to build the business organization, and there was a foundation here at U.S. Cellular, but I was brought in to make it more world-class and to add different channels and segmentation, and then how do you capitalize on what's happening in 5G and IoT and private cellular networks? And so that's been my mission is to set this organization up for success and become a more of a contributor to revenue margin and rock at U.S. Cellular. 
And it's been a wild ride. I absolutely love it. So tell me, how is U.S. Cellular different than other carriers? Well, it's different in many ways. I will say, and I say this a lot, and at some point I'll stop saying it, but I absolutely love it. That goes back to that old Barbara Mandrell, George Jones song. I remember that. So (laughs) we were local when local wasn't cool. We have always been in the communities and the customers within those communities. And, And for the 21 states and for the 38 years, almost 39 years of this company has been in existence. And so that is a key differentiator because we're in areas where other carriers probably don't cover and didn't have start off with different sites. It's very customer centric at US Cellular. So the customers always center and does that make sense for the customer and how do we serve that customer? And then the other really differentiator here is the culture. And the culture is so strong with engaged employees. And when I say engaged from a previous company coming to this and they're just asking others, my peers in the industry, the engagement surveys, when you look at the employee survey is literally 90% plus. So people really care. They know that their opinion matters. And then there's this great foundation of trust. And that is a long answer to, but why is US Cellular different? Because of our engaged employees and how we always put the customer at the center of everything that we do. I'm curious. That is incredible, that level of engagement. And how do you think that the company has achieved that? I mean, it's been around for a very long period of time, but they call it the dynamic organization, the DO, and there are certain principles that are a part of that. But it's not new. And it's been around for 10 plus years, this engagement, this foundation. Consistently, right? Just consistent for 10 plus years. It's just showing up the same every day in the leadership. It's probably all the way down through every single leader in the DNA, right? You got it. But it's true, this caring about one another and the opinion matters and this embracing of all employees and wanting them to thrive with this environment. It's very real here. And it's just amazing. I'm lucky to be a part of it. So that's actually a trend now. And post-pandemic, companies are moving in that direction. So it sounds to me like U.S. Cellular was way ahead of its time in the area of culture. I love, love hearing that. What's a big goal for U.S. Cellular, let's say for the next five years or, or an area of growth? Well, there's several. And obviously, we want to grow revenue and margin and we want to improve our rock. Big areas, though, are one is going to be what I'm heading up, which is business. Because if you think about 5G and the applications and the solutions, even ones that we don't even know about today, Carrie, that are being developed. And when you have faster speeds and lower latency, what does that enable? And you hear the things like remote surgery and things like that, which is interesting and autonomous vehicles, but there's so much more. And when you think of billions of sensors that are going to be not only in the United States, but globally, and what does that enable in terms of improving efficiencies or operations? So that's one big area that I'm heading up, but also prepaid is a big area for us. High-speed internet, we're certainly interested in making sure that all residents in the United States bridging that digital divide and that connectivity And then you have the infrastructure bill and what we've ascertained thus far as it's working its way through approvals is that there's $9 billion within our 21 states. And so how do we work with states and local municipalities to make sure that they achieve their objectives, whether getting that connectivity to all of their homes and their constituents Mm -hmm. that they care about? So yeah, big areas of opportunity and growth for us. You have a big job ahead of you, Kim. <laughs> I do, but no hill for a climber, Carrie, especially with the team that I've got working side by side with me. 
Let's look at remote work. Are you back in the office? Are you hybrid? What's the structure of the company today when it comes in office? You can relate to this. Who would have ever thought we were going to live through a pandemic and that it would last this long? And so we thought originally that we would start back to the office in August and then it moved to September and we decided to wait. So now we're looking at sometime in January, officially going back. We're in a volunteer phase right now where you have some volunteers that have agreed to go back into the different offices and we're monitoring it. What I will tell you is, and and it starts with this, our CEO, LT, and our dear Drake and our CHRO, our head of people, we are very careful of this because it has invoked this whole different expectation and this old school thinking of like, you had to be in the office and I was one of those, right? Like, oh, you could never have a fully remote. So was I. (laughs) I don't know what you're doing. And now it's completely changed. And we're really taking a very thoughtful approach about what does that look like in the future? And so I'll give you an example of that, which is it's not going to be, hey, we need you in the office three days a week. It might be if we say one or two days, but you're working with your leadership and that chain of command, it's more around purposeful meetings. So not for the sake of being in the office because I check a box. It's because there are purposeful meetings that I need to be face-to-face. And Mm. we're working through, and I will tell you, I I met with my team, believe it or not, for the first time when I took over, we were all face-to-face for the first time last week, Carrie, in over a year. Now we've been on teams and talking, but there's a different energy when you're sitting across from someone versus being on team. So we've got to find that balance. And that's what we're looking for. I love what you said, purposeful. Yeah, it came from LT, our CEO, but it really resonates and it's very meaningful. So Kim, you're a subject matter expert in the field of hiring, retaining, and engaging sales talent. So how is being a sales professional different today than it was, let's say, even two or three years ago? Well, first of all, who would ever thought that you were selling and you weren't meeting with your customers? And so if you play the tape back, it was like, there's still certain things that are not going to change, like your teleprospecting and maybe your door to door. But that sort of went away because people are like, hey, I don't want you knocking on the door. I don't want you coming in to the office to try to get an appointment. And the other piece that's really changed is this self-initiative, like being in the bullpen or having some like being in the office. And when you go 100% remote, it's very different. And it's different in terms of how your customers want to engage. So the great thing about this, though, is customers are now open to, hey, let's have a, I don't need to see you face-to-face, in other words. And so in some respects, with this hybrid environment, and we haven't quite figured it out yet, but we'll get there, we'll get to the new norm, whatever that is, but you can be more efficient. Because if you think about in the old days, you know, I say old days, you know, a year ago, two years ago now. You drove to a meeting and then you might prospect around that meeting and it took a lot of time. Now, if it's just a call, I could have where in the course of one meeting, it might have taken three or four hours. Now I can have probably three meetings in that same time. So there's this element of looking like, okay, how do I become more productive, more efficient, and then meeting with the customer when they're ready to meet? Basically. Mm, I love that. How are you instructing your leaders to train and develop their sales talent? when it comes to being successful in this new world. And I know you mentioned a couple of silver linings, which is true. We can actually use our time more efficiently and people really enjoy sometimes just having a meeting versus having an in-person meeting and traveling around. So what are some other things that, let's say, that when you're in your meetings, that you're instructing your team, look, this is how to be successful today. 
Yeah, well, part of it is this is nothing new, but it's still just honing in on customers want to know, like we're the experts in technology and they're the experts in whatever it is in the industry or vertical, what they're doing. And so we need to consult with them. And so one of the things we talk about is make sure that you're talking about what we do for other customers and how it might be applicable to their particular business. Another thing that we're doing is we're honing up on the social skills, LinkedIn, doing your research. Twitter. It sounds cliche because we've been talking about this for a long time, but now more than ever that matters and doing that research, but they need to be effective at it. And even dipping your toe and sort of like monitoring that, but giving them that type of training so they have the confidence is something that's a new skill that we've got to continue to develop. That's brilliant. I love that. So let's talk about finding or attracting sales talent, because I know this is something that all leaders are challenged with. And I know in staffing, we get calls all the time that says, gosh, I'm struggling finding great salespeople and keeping them. So what would you say if you could share some of your secrets in attracting sales talent? Well, some of it is using your network because people want to know what is it like internally at that company. So clearly using the network and not just my network, but all of our associates' networks and who they know. And so we're always tapping into that about, hey, make sure that publicizing these types of roles or jobs that are available and then telling your own personal story about why you're here. So that's probably nothing new, but certainly that's something that we use. We have really good recruiters, like very, I would say, bullish and brave that are not afraid to call up and say, hey, do you know anyone? Maybe it's not even recruiting someone directly, but utilizing their network, looking on LinkedIn. I would say that has been great. Now, we too are challenged with, we have open roles and you're trying to find the right individuals. And so making sure that we just get the USCC story out there. I think people are interested in what's the mission? What's the vision? Do I believe in what you're doing? And so when I get a chance to tell our story, a lot of times, like when I say, look, we're a nascent BU in a 38-year-old company. So it is all about, like, you're going to be on this great journey. And so you can tell that story and bring people in that want to be a part of that. And so it just makes it interesting. And then I talk about technology and how it's changing. And so it's certainly not a boring field that we're in, in the telecom and with all the changes. And so we leverage that as well. Is there anything special that you or your team does to vet sales talent? Because I know that's a big, big challenge. Salespeople are awesome. I mean, I'm a salesperson at heart and we can really talk a good game. And it's sometimes it's really difficult to be able to tell, okay, who's going to perform and who's not, right? Because that's that's what we're supposed to do is sell, right? Not only in sales, but I would say across any role because everybody's putting their best foot forward. But Some of the things we do employ is we make sure, and we do this on purpose and very with intent, because I want to make sure that the person coming on wants to be here and is eyes wide open as much as I can tell them and our team can tell them. So we don't paint rainbows and unicorns. You tell them the reality of like, hey, here's all this great opportunity. You're on this journey. On the flip side of that, when you're in a startup, what does that mean? That means that there's probably systems and tools that are not quite where they need to be yet. And we're working on it and you tell the journey, but it's not going to be perfection. And I don't think there's any such thing. So we make sure that there's multiple interviews. That's number one. It's not one or two. It's multiple interviews. And we get a different sort of view with like, if it's a hiring manager, you need other people to give you input on terms of their views of how they interviewed. And then the other thing we do is a panel, especially when it comes to salespeople, how do they handle themselves? And there might be a structure 
But then sometimes we'll go off structure to see what happens in an event where it's like rapid fire and then you're going down one line of questioning and you completely pivot to something else. And how do they handle themselves? And then, of course, doing your 90 day plan, that's kind of standard. Always make sure that they have a 90 day plan. What does it say? Whether it's right on or not directionally, if you're in sales carry, you know that there's going to be certain table stakes, information and initiatives and activities that you're going to do. So we kind of put them through that process. Now, do we get it 100% perfect all the time? Of course not. But do we strive to do that and make sure that because it's a lot of effort that you put into someone when they come on board, as you know, right? I read that 80% of retention or turnover, let's say, happens in the hiring process, right? So that's where the problem exists when it comes to retention. And I know retention is something that is huge for everyone. The great resignation, people are leaving their jobs by the millions and, you know, holding on to people is is everything today. So what you talked about, I thought was very interesting because in the hiring process, you are transparent. You are honest. It's like, this is what this job is going to look like. I mean, obviously enrolling them in the excitement and the passion and every, all the good stuff that's going to come to them when they work for U.S. Cellular, but this is really what it looks like. So I love that, that being real. So when somebody sits in the seat, then it's not a surprise. Wow, I didn't know it was going to be like this. What other strategies would you say that you employ for retaining sales talent and also driving results? Because that's a big piece of retaining sales talent because they have to be performing, right? That's right. Well, there's your new hires and we kind of talk about like the process and I would put it in two buckets. You got your new hires coming in and how do you make sure it's the best experience from the time that they day one that they get their badge, their laptop, their tools? Do they have a structured environment about what are you going to be doing on these days versus like, here you go and good luck, you know, because that's not going to work. <laughs> so there's that. And we shepherd them along and we've really focused in on that the first 90 days and then 90 plus and then making sure you have like a mentor, you know, that that's, you know, sort of shepherding you along as well. For your existing talent, you know, some people are motivated, motivated by money. Some is recognition. You know, I mean, you're here obviously to make a living because you want to do the things that you want to do. Uh, but what we, I, I'd say there's a couple of things we employ. Number one is I am constantly sharing with our sales maker, our systems, tools, and processes, meaning the enablement to make them successful because it's never mm. perfection. And it's probably on every company's PowerPoint in America. Like, how do you improve your systems, tools, and processes? How do you give back more selling time? How do you have a better customer experience? So we're constantly sharing that with them and getting their feedback because their feedback matters. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you aware of these challenges that I have? You know, it could be a myriad of things, you know, salespeople are, we, we are, we always want more. And, but, but communicating back and giving them a voice, like that is important. Like you have a say in this and like, here's what we're doing. I may not be able to fix all five of the things that you're bringing up, but you know, one is fixed, three are in motion, you know, and you know, that other one is just going to be longer term. And so that helps with retention as well. And then celebrating like crazy successes because, you know, and you know, this you're in sales, it, it looks easy. What you don't see is all the rejection and the hard work and the galling and the getting past the, you know, the gatekeepers and all that hard work. And so you got to acknowledge that. And then the last thing I would say is the training personally and professionally. What kind of training? What kind of skills do you want that you might identify as an individual or the manager working with you? And then what else do you just want to work on so that we can help you and your career and enablement as you Hmm. go on your own career journey? I love it. I love it. Kim, you are a phenomenal leader. 
I mean, we can just hear it in, in your voice and everything you're saying. I'm hanging on to every word. What are some of your leadership principles that, that really help you to guide and drive your teams to success? So there's like the shared vision. And I always employ this like seven times, seven ways, because you can say it, but it doesn't mean everybody gets it the first time or they understand it like you would understand it. But it's that shared vision and making sure that people know that it is a team effort. It is not me. It is the collective effort of the team and making sure that you're bringing them along. And when I say team, it's my team. But as you know, we're in a cross-functional you know, organizations. And so you need the cross-functional teams as well. And you've got to bring them along and and making sure that you're interlocking, I'll call it. So there's that. It's the right people in the right roles. And sometimes you have to make tough decisions. I'm not saying you come in and blow everyone up. But what I am saying is sometimes people are very talented. They're just not in the role that plays to that skill. So you have to make decisions, but right people in the right roles. And then over communicating, like communication all the time. And so that people know what is happening and where you're seeing the wins and then where you're seeing the challenges so that there's the balance. And then the last thing I would say is, have you ever read the book, Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willowlink and Leif, Leif Babin? So I don't think so. I will tell you, I absolutely loved it. And, and there's, you know, 10 different, you know, principles, but it's called Extreme Ownership, which it just starts with that. And there's, there's a couple that, that two or three that stood out to me. And one is Extreme Ownership. Uh, and that basically is you not only own, you know, your mission, your strategy, but you own the, what's happening with your team. And that is very hard when something goes wrong. You want to, you know, it's like, oh, well, the blame goes here. You take ownership and it could be like, maybe I didn't communicate it enough. Maybe I needed to train more. What do, what do I need to do with the leader? So it's extreme ownership and accountability of what is happening within your organization and the results and what you're trying to achieve. I I love the, there are no no such thing as bad teams, only bad leaders. And it's very true. Yeah. And that's a big one because we always want to place the blame game, but it's your leadership. And how do you make sure that, you know, teams can perform, but you got to have the right leadership and the right vision and the right inspection and the right, you know, culture that you're creating. And then I, the, the last one is, um, uh, uh, structure is and discipline equals freedom. So mm. that structure and discipline uh, yes. and what he's talking about there and, you know, just in a, sh- you know, short order is, we have to do the things that sometimes you don't want to do, but that's what gives you the freedom in order to do what you need to do. So that like planning on a Sunday night, who wants to do that? I'd rather be watching Billions or something like that. You know, <laughs> I love that yeah. show. I love it too. And, but you have to like take that 30 minutes to plan for the week. Um, if you're one that wants to, you know, be healthy. Well, if I can't, and I'll, I'll give you a Personal example, I cannot work out in the evenings. I never have been. I, you know, my schedule is always blowing up and I'm tired and, you know, it's usually long days. So I go to the 5 a.m. class and who wants to get up at 420, Gary? Not many people, but (laughs) me, man, I'm nothing special because that class is full at 5 a.m. So that's that part of structure and discipline that gives me the freedom to say, yes, I am doing something about my health. So I love the principles that extreme ownership represents and subscribe to them. So when I read that book, I was like, wow. So some of the stuff you're already doing, but it just puts it in, you know, in the categories as they talk about it. Wow. I'm getting that book because that sounds like it's so aligned with how I lead as well and how I live my life. So I'm getting that for sure. The other challenge that leaders face is identifying and developing 
sales leaders, right? So we've always heard this, oh, do you take the top salesperson and make them a leader because they want to be a sales leader? I mean, how do you, how do you navigate this? This is a great conversation that I've had because I think people say, oh, okay, I'm a good salesperson. And so my natural career is then I need to go to a manager and then I go to a director. Well, not necessarily. Like you can go lateral, you can go upward. There's different career paths that you can take. From a sales perspective, you can have great individual contributors, but being a leader is very different, as you know, because it's not, it's, it's the collective efforts of your team now, and it's how you influence them. And you know, the whole, I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make them drink. Like there's a lot of that. Sometimes you're, you're playing HR and, you know, it just, it, it just depends on what's happening. So we have a program that we're starting to develop, which is like individual contributors that want to go into, you know, the sales leadership to kind of get a taste of that. We're, uh, the other piece that we're trying to do is give them special assignments to make sure that that's what they want to do and to prepare them. I, you'll never be 100% prepared, but and then having candid conversations like, is this truly what you want to do? And if it is, and and once we promote you, we need to have the resources and the structure around to enable them to be successful because they're new in the role. So diversity, I know it's one of your passions. And I know that you talked about how you were able to achieve such a high percentage of diversity on one of your teams. So what is what does diversity mean to you? I mean, it's it's a term that I mean, we just hear it just just day after day after day everywhere. I mean, I mean, what does it mean to you? And how do you maintain diversity on a team? I know it's a challenge for everyone. It is. So diversity is different backgrounds, different experiences, of course, ethnicity. But it's it's got to be that diverse group of people that you surround yourself with that are going to have different points of view. And, 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 and that's what matters because if everybody thinks like you do, you're not going to get to the best outcomes. So you need diverse thought. You need healthy tension and to promote that on your teams. And so that, that's one. So just diverse in general. The, the other piece of it is, is that you have to make tough decisions sometimes. And, and I hate to use the term risk, but you know, take a risk, but sometimes you kind of have to. Sometimes you have to, pull that individual that may not even believe in themselves that you've got to pull them forward, or maybe they don't have quite as much experience, but they certainly got the, you know, you could see the attitude and you could see that they're smart and intelligent and, and they're engaged and they want to do it. And I would take that over maybe somebody that's got 30 years experience and you take those and I call them risk. I don't know if that's the right word, but then you have to mentor and make sure that, you know, you're, you're talking to them and giving them feedback and being a sounding board and that they can trust you in terms of like where they're struggling. But you have to make a conscious decision to do that because it's too easy mm-hmm. just to sort of let things go. And, you know, at my former company, I literally, we had, you know, we had sales leaders and we had, you know, really diverse, which was really great Two females, um, uh, BIPOC. And then you've got, you know, you're, you know, of course I, you know, there's nothing against white males. I think sometimes they might feel like, oh my gosh, you know, in this environment, but there's still lots of opportunity, but we just have to make very conscious, deliberate decisions. Yes. Conscious and deliberate. That's exactly what it needs to be. I, I hear it over and over from top sales leaders, top, top leaders, period. So there's, there's still a problem it, with women in tech, right? There's not enough. I think I was reading the other day, there's only 25% of, you know, of, of people in tech are women. And this is becoming, it's just become such a 
problem since the pandemic because millions of women have left the workforce. So what would you say, uh, you know, how do we solve for this? I know we're not going to solve for this overnight. Do you have any ideas about, you know, how to bring more women into tech, how to keep them in tech, uh, and, and also maybe just bringing more women back in the, the workforce after the pandemic? I'm not seeing some of the exit at U.S. Cellular, which is good, but I'm very aware of it. And as you know, women, we've always had like the two jobs, you know, you got your day job and some people would call it your second job, which is, you know, taking care of the kids and, you know, the household, whatever else. And, um, and that's been around for probably years, but I think it's been exacerbated. You know, when you're working from home, there's no like lines, everything is blurring. And, you know, especially when kids were at home and there's been a, a lot of stress on that. And, but, but, you know, part of what we're doing right here, Carrie, is just talking about it, like, and, and encouraging, you know, t- first of all, just talking about it. Secondly, just encouraging women to, you know, I guess there's this um, scariness around when you say technology, and there really shouldn't be. And we need more women in technology, more women in tech, and there's all types of different roles. And so that, you know, that's part of it is just talking about it. The, the, the work-life balance is a big one. And we're going to have to be mindful of that. And I, you know, was reading articles about, you know, maybe, you know, you, you, you allow flexible, more flexible schedules because we need to enable women to be successful. And I've, I've had women that have worked for me in the past and it kind of came down to, they had small kids and they had a career. And if you're going to pick, of course, your family, I mean, that really matters, but why do we have to make them make that decision? And so what can we put in place to enable them to have it all, if you will? Maybe not perfection, but harmony, whatever that means. And so that they don't have to make those tough decisions. And, and, but if they do, then, and they get out of the workplace, how do you make sure that we get them back in? And that, you know, and then you read things like at a lower, you know, seven, I think I was reading something that, you know, their paycheck is 7% lower or their income when they come back because they've been out. Like we, that's the type of things that we've really got to talk about, bring to the forefront. And then, you know, I'm looking for ideas, even internally and from other women about what do we need to do to support them? Because we do need more women. How many, how many meetings have you been in? And you're the sole female. Oh, yes. There's lots of them, but you know, good news is we'll continue to work on this. There is no silver bullet, but it's finding that balance. And then we need, we need females. We need diversity. And that's what we're talking about. And doesn't this start from, you know, really from the top? I mean, with with leaders changing the mindset and, and, and understanding that just because a woman, let's say, needs some flexibility or needs to go pick up her children, let's say, I, I, we have a leader here in the company who, you know, every day at a, you know, a certain time, she, <clears throat> excuse me, she needs to go pick up her kids. And I'm, I'm totally fine with it. She is so productive. In the out in the hours that she is working, and then she fits in her her mother, you know, duties because she's got very small children, but she's so productive with that time. And I find that sometimes when you have, let's say, you have ten hours in a day to work, then you might be wasting some of that time. You may not be as productive in that ten hours, but if you have seven and you have to get it all done, you know we're, we're pretty powerful as human beings and we can up our game and become more efficient to get more done in less time. Right. Am I on the right track? So leaders don't have to worry about that saying, well, you know, if I, if I allow this flexibility, she's not going to be as productive. I mean, I think that could be in, in the minds of some leaders, correct? Well, the other piece, I mean, you, it's a, it's a great point, but, and the other uh, component to that is the trust 
you know, like I'm going to actually tell people that I'm going to pick up my kids. Like you have to have that trust to say that is acceptable. You absolutely should be doing that. We support that. And I would say that's probably not the norm, but it needs to become that way and offer that flexibility and that foundation of trust that, you know, you probably wouldn't hear as many men say that, um, but they could because there, there are fathers that pick up their kids, but it just needs to become part of the norm and that flexibility that I think is what we're going to see going forward. We're, we're going to have to, it's the expectation in order to have, you know, world-class talent and people that want to work for your company. You're going to have to work with them. We are going to have to work with them on what works and, and, and making sure that they know it's safe. And that that is, you know, applauded when you go do that. Because if you're saying, hey, that's fantastic, go do that. Others will then be like, oh, this is great. Of course I can do that. Versus like, oh, no, just like it was so taboo to have a dog barking or a kid, you know, in your video. <laughs> now it's, you know, it's like, oh, it's old hat. We're all used to it. But it was truly taboo, you know, you know, in, you know, pre, I'll say COVID. So we, we're just going to have to, we're going to have to work on that. Mm, I love what you said. If you want to have world-class talent, you know, this is what you need to do and, and you need to, to make it okay. And women cannot feel guilty and yes. you know, feel like they're, they're, they're not being enough because they're taking care of their family. They need to feel empowered. And, you know, I truly believe that we can, you know, just genetically, you know, it's in our DNA to, to handle a lot of things at once and we are more efficient. So, I, I, everything you said is, is just spot on. Carrie, I love what? that. We are definitely yes. multitaskers. Right. <laughs> right. We are. I know. Sometimes I feel like I've got just 15 hands, just arms, just right. doing all kinds of things all over the place. And, and it's all working. And I, I don't even know how but it, it is. And different. I, I know our brains must be different. They must be wired differently right. for us to be able to, to do all these different things. Um, so what excites you about the future in, in, in telecom and also at U.S. Cellular, about your job, about your career, about your team? You know, what excites you every day? What gets you to jump out of bed every morning at 420? That's right. <laughs> well, I will tell you, being on, on this journey of being able to make something and bring people along, like sometimes you don't get these opportunities in your lifetime. And so I think this is like the third time there was, you know, at Nextel, there was a Nextel Sprint merger. You know, there was getting Sprint through the merger with Timo and, you know, seeing that to the other side. But this is so exciting. Like I'm, I wake up every day and I'm, you know, you got to be passionate about what you do. If you don't like your job, you need to go look for something else because you spend too much time at it and you need energy and you got to give energy to the teams and you got to believe in what your purpose and mission is. And I'm a big believer in this journey of like growth. And what excites me is the opportunities. And like I talked about IOT and sensors and how that's improving the lives of, you know, not only consumers and just individuals, but like what does it do for businesses and how does it make us better? And so that's exciting, really, really exciting to me. And, you know, not even knowing what is on the horizon. And you think of things like Jetsons, you know, when we were young in those cartoons, like, like, you know, that's a reality that's probably coming. Right. And, and it's, you know, for us cellular, just the, 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 the mission of really serving our customers and our communities. And then, you know, and making sure that we take care of our employees. Like, and when I say customers, I mean consumers and I mean our businesses as well. Uh, but that is just that mission that we, that, you know, it's that, you know, we're an essential service 
to keep people connected when and how they want to be connected. And I love that about what we do. Kim, this has just been a fantastic conversation today. I I really appreciate you coming on the show. Can you share your website where people would go if they want to look at jobs at U.S. Cellular? It's easy, www.uscellular.jobs. Perfect, done. Kim, thank you. You have been incredible. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful wisdom with the entire audience at 5G Talent Talk today. Carrie, thanks for having me. This was a great discussion. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.